Welcome to today's episode brought to you by the Women in Medicine Summit, a transformational CME conference happening September 13th to 14th at the Drake Hotel in Chicago. Engage in leadership programming, learn negotiation skills, receive on-site coaching and mentoring, and see who will win this year's I Stand With Her Awards. This year, we're excited to offer unique programming that includes a special session on how using improv comedy can bring fun back into medicine. We also have financial sessions tailored to help you navigate the complexities of personal and professional finances. Discover ways to advance into leadership roles, combat burnout, and either reignite your love for your current role or find joy in a new career path. Don't forget our Friday evening gala, a highlight this year you definitely won't want to miss. Register now at womeninmedicinesummit.org and be part of the movement that is shaping the future of healthcare. Join us to network, learn, and celebrate the power of women in medicine. Welcome to the Revitalizing Doctor podcast. We interview trailblazers in medicine that embody the revitalized women vision to empower women to innovate and influence medicine to value authenticity, respect, and work-life harmony. We recognize the challenges in medicine, and we're committed to providing coaching-informed strategies to help you go from surviving to thriving. Thanks for joining us again. This week is part two of my interview with Dr. Christina Shenby. If you missed part one, I'd go back and listen to that interview first. But as a reminder, Dr. Christina Shenby is an emergency medicine physician and educator at University of North Carolina. She is truly a thought leader within emergency medicine and beyond. I love my conversations with Christina and part of the reason why is she has a diverse career. She recently completed her MBA from UNC. And with that business background, I think she analyzes problems in a way that we so need right now in medicine. And I'm really excited about her transition into coaching and that she's doing a lot more coaching right now. And you'll see in this podcast that she has this really interesting way of approaching problems and reframing them. So I am just so excited to have her on the podcast and get to share her with all of you. You know, one of our principles at Revitalize is that while we offer coaching, we understand that we're not always the right fit for every person and bringing people into our circle here like Dr. Christina Shenvey is really important because Dr. Shenvey has helped me personally really improve my time management and think about it from a more values-based perspective. So I hope you'll enjoy this episode with Christina. And I know that if you're interested in working with Christina, she would love to hear from you. Without further ado, here's part two with Dr. Christina Shenby. So let's go back to the issues with kind of physician apathy, learned helplessness. I think the big overarching theme that I'm starting to see is that physicians have a lot of limiting beliefs. What is a limiting belief? And then how does that tie into some of the patterns we're seeing with 
physicians in their individual careers and then what weaves into the larger problems in healthcare? Well, limiting beliefs in general are beliefs that someone holds about themselves or about other people or about the world that hold them back. So limits them from achieving their goals or reaching their full potential. And the beliefs can stem from past experience, from society, from negative self-talk, or I've seen this a lot from things other people have said to you. Oh, you're not that smart. Oh, you'll never make it here. You don't really have what it takes to be X, Y, Z. And so we internalize those statements or that talk, self-talk, et cetera, to form these deeply ingrained beliefs that can really significantly impact people's lives. It becomes a part of their identity and it can lead to low self-esteem or self-sabotage or missed opportunities. Some of the common ones are things like, oh, I'm just not smart enough. I'm not smart enough to be this position. Or, for example, when you think about emergency medicine, there can be limiting beliefs around what your options are. Like, I would never be able to find another career. I've been coaching a few people who are going through career transitions, and some of the limiting beliefs are things like, well, it's terrible here, but it's no better anywhere else. Is that true? Well, there are probably many places that are just as bad as where you are, but the idea that nowhere is better, that's a limiting belief. Or I don't have the skills to get a job somewhere else. Or I'm too old to start a new career. Or I don't really deserve success. Or I've spent, you know, a decade, two decades learning medicine, practicing, building up my comfort level and experience with practice. I couldn't go do something else. My identity is fully wrapped up in this idea that I am a physician. Not just I work as a physician, but I am a physician. And if I take that away, what else would I be? Or sometimes the idea of guilt that I owe it to society to use my medical degree. And so if I were to go and do research, pharmaceuticals, consulting, whatever investment banking, whatever it may be, real estate, that I would feel guilty that I'm not using those skills that I've built. So limiting beliefs in general can keep us from thinking more creatively about what our options are. And there's also kind of this idea that comes back to that poll that I had run that if we just wait long enough, they, whoever they is, will somehow make it better. And I love this brief, brief interaction that happened in a sci-fi book called Ender's Game. And they made a movie about it, but I can't remember if this piece made it into the movie. But the idea is Ender is this little kid who's being trained up to be, you know, a high-ranking war leader to, you know, to help fight in this alien war. Okay, so that's the sci-fi background. But then what happens in is very human, where they have the kids with Ender doing these training games. And one of them gets hurt. I can't remember if it's him or someone else. And the grown-ups are sitting back in their computer room watching all of this. And one of them says, should we go help him? And the other says, no, he has to believe that there is no one who's going to step in and rescue him. And I feel like we are sitting here waiting for someone to rescue us, but there's no one who's going to rescue us if we don't at least do part of that ourselves. You know, CMS, the Surgeon General, nobody is going to swoop in with a cape and suddenly make things better. And I don't think people truly believe that, but I think there's this idea that somehow if we just stick it out long enough, they will make it better. And there's no they who's coming. I mean, we need an army of these, right? The problems are so complex. It's going to take thousands of people working together to make healthcare better. So 
That is also another call to action that I have for listeners is if you look at your schedule, you know, I am aware that some physicians are like on paper working 40 hours a week or on paper, maybe even working 60. One of my trauma surgeon friends told me on her worst week, she works 120 hours of call in the hospital. I don't know if that was intentional or it's now become a byproduct, but when we work physicians that much, it leaves no capacity Mm -hmm. to do the larger systems work. It keeps everybody being widgets. Mm -hmm. And I need you to break out of the widget mold. And, you know, even if every physician could carve out one hour to be working on something bigger than your shift, I just think of the change that could start to happen just with one hour. Yeah, that's a great call to action. And it really requires a little bit of a shift in our identity, too. If our identity is purely, you know, I'm here to see patients to do the clinical work versus saying, actually, can I dial that down? And part of my identity and my work is being a change agent or being somebody who helps with healthcare transformation. And really, I've been finding a lot of that with limiting beliefs to tie that back in around career transitions and thinking about what do you have to let go of to change and what do you have to let go of to stay the same? I was coaching a woman who's mid to late career and works in private practice, not in EM, and she's considering moving back to academics. And it seems like this constant pull for her to go to academics when she actually has a really thriving practice in private practice and a lot of side work. And it came down to this idea that her identity that she'd always told herself, her narrative was, I'm an academic, I'm a teacher. And so to leave, she would have to let go of a lot of great things that come with her private practice. And to stay, she would have to let go of that identity that she's told herself. And ultimately, it turned out to be a limiting belief. So part of the encouragement here is to think about where is your identity and can you expand it? Can you make it bigger than what it is now in whatever direction that is for you? Make it bigger and wider and broader to then bring in more opportunities. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hi, it's Dr. Risa E. Lewis dropping in to tell you about a book that Dr. Adara Landry and I wrote. It's called Microskills, Small Actions, Big Impact. It's a business self-help book coming in 2024 by HarperCollins. Pre-order now, Microskills, Small Actions, Big Impact, wherever you buy your books. Yeah, I should definitely put in the show notes a piece that I wrote about drawing outside the lines for your career mm. as an academic, because that's something I've always really felt that my identity is tied to academics. And then I had about a year or two that I wasn't tied very strongly to any academic institution, but I realized I was doing all these academic things, even though It wasn't doing this as an assistant professor. And so it was just redefining that, you know, this podcast in a way is academic-y. It's kind of nerdy. I talk with people and I have to do research. So that's an academic outlet that's not tied to an institution. So, you know, if I guess my observation would be is if there's a part of your identity that you really want to hold on to, you know, what could that look like in a different context? And you still scratch that itch if it's really that intellectual curiosity that you want to hold on to, like in my case. I like that. 
I took your Time for Life group coaching program, and it was very helpful for me. Can you share your philosophy and approach on time management? Because I feel like even just saying time management is triggering for some of the doctors. I'm like, (laughs) I'm going to turn this off right now. I am the most efficient person that I know. I got through medical school. I do more than anybody that I know, but they still feel honestly like this. I would call like time scarcity, if that's the right Mm -hmm. terminology, that they need more time. So what's going on with that? And why did you create this program? And how is yours different in, in providing a unique service versus the typical time management stuff we learn about? Well, my approach is really to make sure that your vision and your strategy and what you're doing are all aligning. I think about this like stacking dolls, those nesting wooden dolls, where your mission has to be the biggest doll. And then inside that is your strategy, how you're going to approach things. And then inside that is your operations of what you actually do day to day. And if you try to start with your operations, which is what a lot of time management programs do with like, here's some apps, here's how to make a, you know, linked calendar, here's how to make a to-do list, then you're getting it inside out and it's not going to fit together. And then ultimately your vision, your purpose will be subject to your calendar or your to-do list instead of the other way around. And so what I do is help people work through, okay, yes, you're very efficient, And yet you have 25 hours worth of work to do in any given 24-hour period. So what's really going on? One of the most common challenges that people come to me with is I just have too much on my plate. I'm efficient, but I'm working all the hours of the day and night. So part of it is starting to be realistic with, yes, if you give yourself 13 hours worth of work to do for every day, then you're not going to have bandwidth for other activities, for family, for exercise, for health. And our personal health is often the first thing to go. People tell me they, you know, stop exercising, stop walking, running, et cetera. So I created this program with workshops, retreats, coaching, kind of a lot of different offerings to try to help people think through that, to go through and say, okay, let's think about designing first. What is it that matters to you most? And where does what you do align with what matters and where does it not? And then Planning. So planning your day or your week in terms of what is deep work? Where do I really need to focus? And then where do I do the shallow work really efficiently, like email, scheduling, et cetera? And then the third step. So design, plan, and then do. How do you overcome the activation barrier? Or how do you manage the negative emotions? A lot of times, and this is very literature-based, I've read a ton of literature on procrastination. We procrastinate because we want to avoid the negative feelings that a task brings up, whether that's boredom, frustration, self-doubt, fear of failure, imposterism, whatever it is. So how do we empower ourselves to do things even through those feelings? And then finally, reflecting. And this is where you have to go slow to go fast, to really take the time, which feels like, quote, wasted time, to reflect and gain more clarity. And that's where coaching can be really beneficial. So that's kind of what I've done to work with people. And my goal is to help people expand their repertoire of being able to do more of what matters to them. It's not fundamentally about time management. I call it time management because that is something people can resonate with and people are often open to, oh yeah, I need time management. 
when really what they need is to step back and think about their priorities and how they're meeting their life mission. And if we never stop to think about it, then we can too often go through weeks, months, years with this mentality of just keep your head down, keep your nose to the grindstone. And then 10 years down the road, you realize you've been going in the wrong direction because you've never had the chance to pause and really reflect. So that's my purpose and motivation in doing that work. Yeah, it's been incredibly helpful. And I thought the piece on procrastination was fascinating because I would have told you before I started the program, I'm not a procrastinator. I mean, there's nothing in my life that you would look back and say, Andrea procrastinates. And I probably have a litany of people that would say, we wish you'd procrastinate. She's always (laughs) telling us to do stuff. But then I was like, oh my God, I do. And I'm finishing my master's in health professions education. And I had a homework assignment this week and I kept kind of putting it off. And I knew it was due Saturday and I'm like, all right, well, I I know I'll get it done by Saturday because I'm not going to turn something in late. But then I thought back to your program and I'm like, why am I putting this off? And it was all the things you just said. I was a little bit nervous that maybe I wouldn't know how to do the assignment. And then I was like nervous about that it was going to take longer than I had set time aside to do. So paradoxically, I was just like, well, then I'll just keep putting it off. And I'm like, uh, what are you doing? This doesn't make <laughs> sense. And then I had overscheduled myself. I had planned to go to the simulation lab that's a two-hour drive away and have a meeting with somebody on a Friday before I had a 7P shift. And I'm looking at my schedule and I'm like, why did I do this to myself? Like, this is insane. I scheduled a whole day of work before I have a whole night of work. And then I'm going to show up to my shift. I'm going to be pissed off and grumpy. And I won't have time to do my homework. So I rescheduled that meeting. And I was like, thank you, Christina, for helping me schedule my meeting. (laughs) Yeah. And having that clarity of, hey, you know, I don't need to run myself ragged. I can make these choices. This meeting will still happen in a week. Exactly. And then, you know, I realized that me and the other emergency physician that were going to this place were the only clinicians. And I'm like, nobody else has a night shift pre or post Mm -hmm. this meeting. Mm -hmm. Everybody else works during the day. And by the way, if they don't want to reschedule the meeting, they hold this against me, then we're not going to be good collaborators because I need grace that I still work clinically. And if people can't extend me that grace that sometimes my schedule is confusing and I'm like replying to emails with night shift brain, then I don't need that. That's great. So one of the ways we often end this podcast, we've talked about some really high-end systems level issues. But I know many of our listeners are tuning in before a shift. And they're like, you know, Christina, Andrea, that was nice. You guys have some admin time and I'm actually just on my way to a shift. And it is going to be a dumpster fire. What do you say to that person that's maybe clenching the steering wheel really, really tight? And they're like, I just have to get through the shift a little bit better. And I think that was actually the name of your article, wasn't it? Like 10% better or just like a shift? I, I can't remember. Yeah, how to, how to never have a bad shift. And that's a little bit of hyperbole, but it was really about, you know, we all are going to have averages. 
Some shifts are going to be better than average. Some shifts are going to be less good. So we all have an average. We can't make, you know, more shifts be above our average. But what we can think about doing is raising that average. Well, I would say, you know, to that person driving in for a shift, first, do a self-check-in. Where are you? What's your energy like? What do you have capacity to do today? And sometimes all we have capacity for is just survival mode. We're like, yep, I just need to get through the shift. I don't have margin. I just need to survive. In which case, okay, don't layer on additional guilt. Sometimes when we're feeling in survival mode, then we have guilt that, oh, I should be shiny happy. I should feel just like a beautiful ray of sunshine walking into my dream job every single shift. And so we layer on guilt because we don't feel like necessarily we're that excited to work. And so that creates almost this, rather than optimism, this toxic positivity of I have to smile and just say everything's fantastic and I'm living, you know, living the dream. How are you doing? Living the dream, right? We hear that all the time. So first, do a self-check-in and don't layer on guilt if you're not feeling super excited to show up for your shift. The second thing, and you know, coaching is really about asking questions and reflecting. So it kind of takes two to coach, but some ideas to try. Second is to draw a circle. Now this comes from stoicism where they talk a lot about, you know, you can only control the things that are in your control. So on the worst shifts, I will put a paper down and draw a circle to remind myself of what is in my circle of control. And that is my thoughts, my feelings, and my actions. Things outside my control are nursing staff ratios, the number of people in the waiting room, the hospital bed capacity. None of those things are in my control. All I can control is my own thoughts, my own feelings, and my own actions. And ironically, we often do two things. We try to control things that we can't by saying, I wish that the hospital had capacity. I wish that we had nursing staff ratios. I wish that we were adequately staffed. I wish we had people to transport patients back and forth from CT. And so we bang our heads against the reality, wishing that it were different. And we also give up control of things that we do have in our control. What we have in our control is our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions. And when we absorb kind of the energy from everyone else, then we're giving up our own control of those thoughts and actions. So instead, draw that circle, choose what you want to think, choose how you want to feel, and choose how you want to act. And don't try to control things that are outside your circle. I'm not saying like don't move for system change, like definitely do that, work to change the system, work to improve bed flow, etc. But don't try to take on the emotional burden of controlling things that you just fundamentally cannot. That is so so powerful. And I had an interaction with a patient a couple nights ago. She had an issue that we weren't going to be able to solve, very common in emergency medicine. And I put in her discharge. And because of nursing shortages, she waited 45 minutes for her discharge. And every time I walked past her, she was like, hey, am I going to be discharged? And the last time I paused and I looked at her and I said, I put in your discharge order 45 minutes ago. And I'm really sorry that you're waiting, but meeting with the nurse is important and they will be here when they're able to. And I probably said it a little tersely, like honestly, because she had stopped me like three times. And I was 
beating myself up for that. It was like, you know, the last interaction is really important and you should have been nicer to that person. So we have this thing where you have to call two patients back a shift. And so I decided to call her back. And in a way, I didn't want to. I'm like, I'm not calling her back because she's probably going to be mad at me. So I called her back and I said, you know, I just want to apologize. I think I could have took a little more time with you when you were waiting to be discharged. And she's like, oh, it's not a big deal. I saw you guys are really busy. Thank you. You really helped me. And I was like, oh my God, I don't even know how many minutes I've thought about like beat myself up. And she wasn't, she was fine with it. She mm-hmm. was thankful. Like the story I had made up about this interaction was so out of proportion to what it was for her. So I, I just put a little bug in people's ears because, you know, years of coaching, I'm probably on like year three of being exposed to these concepts and I'm still having to learn them every day. And I resist them. I, I resist it. And then I'll, I'll do it. And I'm like, God damn it. Damn it. <laughs> it worked. It worked. <laughs> so how can our listeners connect with you? Because they really should. Honestly, like, please reach out to Christina. I say that, you know, people might wonder why we have other coaches on our podcast and, you know, we offer coaching. I truly believe that there is enough pain among the physician mm-hmm. community mm-hmm. that we need everybody. We need you. We need our friends at the whole physicians. And I also believe that you're going to need us for different things. So Linda focuses a lot on leadership. You know, we have our career diversification program. I think it would be very synergistic to do some work with Christina and then do our career diversification program or in any order. I think it's all helpful. So yes, we come from this with a place of abundance that you may want to work with us and you should work with Christina as well. So how do they reach you? Well, thanks, Andrea. Yes, feel free. You can email me, Shenvi, that's S-H-E-N-V-I at timeforyourlife.org or my Twitter handle at C-L Shenvi or my website is timeforyourlife.org. And you can find blog posts and my contact information there. I would love to hear from any of you, just thoughts, reflections, or if you have questions about coaching or time management. Oh, so good. Yes, please follow Christina on Twitter. She's also on LinkedIn. I'll put all of that in our show notes and just start reading some of her blogs. It's really helpful. And honestly, like, just reach out. If anything resonated with you, I think coaching is one of those things that there's this like, I don't know if I should do it or, oh, there's some cost associated with it. And then you do it and it's life-changing. Definitely is. Yep. Your return on that investment in terms of just getting clarity, getting peace, working through difficult transitions, making tough decisions. It's been a major benefit for me also. And hey, she has an MBA. She knows what an ROI (laughs) is. So she'll stand by that statement. Yes. All right. Well, thanks so much, Christina. We'll have to do this again soon. Thanks, Andrea. Great to talk to you. Thanks for listening to The Revitalizing Doctor, a project of Revitalize Women Physician Circle. Our mission is to connect women physicians and allies through innovative, value-based coaching methods that align trust, support, accountability, and skill development to ignite the courage and clarity necessary to take bold actions, create change, and thrive. If you're interested in working with us, check out our website at peoplealwayshcc.com revitalize 
or email us at revitalizemm.info at gmail.com. This podcast represents the views of our host and guest. It does not reflect the views of any institution we work for or with.